Welcome to Tiffin Talks, an ideas series curated by Indian Summer Festival, Vancouver. Tiffin Talks showcases a diverse group of thinkers, artists, and innovators gathering to share ideas and a meal together. Every Tiffin Talk features South Asian and Indigenous people in conversation with each other on a wide range of topics. This series was recorded on-site, outdoors, at the seaside ancestral village of Sanok. You might hear the sounds of seagulls and the wind. Tiffin Talks at ISF 2019 was presented by Van City and supported by the Museum of Vancouver. Special thanks to our founding partner, Simon Fraser University, major partners, Langara College and the University of British Columbia, media partners, the Georgia Strait, CBC and Spice Radio, and our funders, the Government of Canada, the City of Vancouver, Vancouver Foundation, the Province of BC, and the BC Arts Council. Theatre is a shape-shifting experience for performer, stage, and audience alike. The stage and the rituals of theatrical placemaking can, in a moment, create startling intimacy or vast distance, can evoke sudden memory while calling to possibility alternate futures. Join contemporary playwrights Rohit Chokhani, Paneet Singh, and Renai Morisot in All the World's a Stage, a conversation moderated by Anushka Ratnaraja. Thank you, and thank you to ISF for having us uh, here today. I'm really excited to moderate this panel with so many talented uh, people who are going to share some great stories um, of their practice with us. Um, as I, as um, I was introduced, my name is Anushka. Uh, my pronouns are she, her, and hers. Um, and I, I have worked in theater for a long time, um, but have been taking a brief sabbatical from it, producing the Queer Film Festival, um, August 15th to 25th. Okay, that's my only plug. Uh, <laughs> and uh, Indian Summer Festival is very near and dear to my heart. I was the festival administrator for three years back when the festival was just a baby. I think the work that's done here is really, really beautiful and the collaborative spirit uh, with which um, events like this are curated come from a really genuine and, um, and uh, curious place. So I'm excited to be a part of it. Uh, so um, my first question on my phone was, I know we got some brief bios, uh, but I'd really love to hear more from you folks um, about who you are and why you do the work you do. So any way you want to introduce yourself, talk about any identities that weren't perhaps mentioned or skills or practices that you're involved with that, um, that inform uh, the way that you work. Okay. I've made my home here on um, Coast Salish shores for the last 30 years. Okay, 35. No, maybe 40. <laughs> um, and I go home, which is uh, in, in uh, the province of uh, Manitoba to the Treaty One territory. Um, I've always been an artist in some shape and form and in, in form and uh, I didn't know anything about residential school or any of the, the impacts of colonial systems within our communities because we were just on the pulse of what that meant in our daily lives. Um, because our land was taken away back in 1907, we were forced to leave our traditional territories. I always say that I was born in the broken hearts of the women in my family. 
And one of my first performing arts pieces when I was about six years old, my mother was standing. This is, and, and seriously, this came, this memory came up to me about, um, I think, seven years ago when I was watching uh, uh, an artist dance, uh, Santi Smith doing a play on um, uh, 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 a play. Uh, and so anyways, I was, I was in the audience and this memory came up and it was so clear. I was a child about six years old. My mother was standing in a lineup for, um, to get m uh, meat from, from the Eaton Center in downtown Winnipeg. That place doesn't exist anymore. It's now the MTS Center. And we were standing in the lineup and she pulled a, 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 a number and they wouldn't call her number. And they wouldn't call her number. And as a child, I was on my knees kind of playing with something on the floor. And as I looked up, what she did was she took the tabs and she just pulled them. And she pulled them. And so there was this beautiful stream of colors that kind of fell right in front of me. And it was so awesome. <laughs> So I always say that was my first performing arts piece that my mother did. So that influenced influenced who I am and what I do today. Thank you. Um, so my name's um, Benit. My pronouns are he, him, and his. Um, what an honor to sit next to uh, two so much more accomplished and <laughs> uh, decorated Stop artists it. than myself. Um, and I, I mean, everything like I always feel foolish having my bio that I typed out read out to me. And I was like, well, that was very narcissistic. Um, it's kind of like the like the, the poison of like being like sometimes of being an artist and freelancing. Um, but um, I, I'd, I've always loved storytelling. Um, it's been a part of who I am since I was young, um, hearing stories of my, of my sick background from my mother, um, first and foremost, um, coming from a really strong uh, tradition of of oral story of oral history, um, it's been it's been an incredible part of my life, um, and I don't think I could ever put into words the amount of impact it had on it had on shaping my identity of who I am, where I belong, where I don't belong, if I belong. Um, where I don't need to belong. Um, so it's um, I, I don't I don't have much more to say about that. I've been I've been privileged to um, with the support of of the South Asian community, the Sikh community, the community at large, the theater community, the film community to be practicing uh, my art for the last five six years um, here. Um, the one thing that I do want to say is not it's not so much about who I am, but I think kind of who we are. Um, and where we are, um, and thank you, Bhavan, for the very self-aware acknowledgement um, of, of um, important to recognize that, like, just right there's Kits, um, and Kits Solano has a history of erasure and decimation of communities. Um, the two communities predominantly being the indigenous community first and foremost, um, with the advent, the perhaps toxic advent of this Canadian Pacific Railway. Um, and then the South Asian community and the and the multicultural neighborhood that was here for so long, um, and it was a home for so many marginalized communities, uh, be that Japanese, Chinese, uh, East Asian, South Asian, Sikh, um, and Kitsilano was was that neighborhood for so long. And you look at it now, you would never know that. Um, you would never know the 
the echoes of history that 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 resonate in these streets um, because of that systematic erasure. So I do want to. I think it's a very poignant place for us to be meeting. Um, is here where um, in you would acknowledge 1907 as a time where land was taken away. Um, if you looked through the the phone directories of that time, which I have because I'm a nerd. Um, <laughs> <laughs> You'll see that there's plenty of Smiths and Thompsons and Mick what have yous and and uh, a lot of European names. But then you'll see a lot of dwellings where the people will be identified as, um, and I apologize for using the racialized terms, but this is what's written there as a Jap or a Hindu or Chinaman. Um, and uh, a census at the start of the phone directory that refuses to acknowledge anyone that's not white and states that. So I think it's a very poignant place for us to be meeting and, and talking about um, and discussing our practices, which which are so much about uh, claiming space, reclamation, um, and presence. Mm. Very nice. Thank you. Thank you. I guess. I guess I have to follow these two now. I should have gone first. <laughs> it would have been easier. Uh, I mean, I kind of seems like common threads in what's been chatted about but I mean I am a settler I was not born in Canada I came here in 2010 like literally two days before the Olympics and 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 so my work after that has kind of reflected as partly about what I've been observing in the industry and partly about what I felt like I had to go through as a person of color trying to find my place in this country as an immigrant but also also uh, learning about all this history that you guys are talking about and about about what my role in that is as a settler but also learning what has happened before and uh, especially in terms of this land and the indigenous people and and I actually struggled I I came with like a lot of experience I had worked for like I mean I hate to talk in terms of mainstream things but as artists we have to market ourselves and I came with like experience with like Pixar and like Fox and those guys and I still couldn't find work for like three weeks, three three years, sorry, in this country until until Urban Ink Productions founded Memory Clements, until a company that had a indigenous roots saw my role to play and, and picked me up after a show at the Fringe Festival. So they were going through that experience kind of, and then being at Urban Ink and of course the whole uh, legacy of Urban Ink quickly put me into understanding this whole map of how to decolonize the industry but also kind of like uh, like where it stayed and and I, I, I am hopeful I, I do believe that change is happening and it's but uh, when my entry point was a few generations later than the people like Murray Clemens or the Diane Roberts or Margot Keynes have had to go through and so so I could see how I was benefiting from the work of advocacy that this generation had done. And so I kind of feel like my work has kind of, I wouldn't be able to categorize in a simple five minutes what my work is, but it's it reflects probably my personal observations and observations or things that come to me by being in these conversations. Um, so earlier on my work has been more around stories to tell that are not being told and artists to showcase that haven't been showcased uh, kind of like uh, representing the unrepresented kind of thing and more lately it has become thankfully my work has been acknowledged and it's gotten interest from mainstream so my previous work continues but now it has become also about uh, claiming space in these big institutions and claiming space uh, where where there is interest in bringing my work but then to claim it in a way so that 
even if it's like commercial or like a, a big budgeted production, like I just opened All's Well at Bard on the Beach, uh, which I co-directed. But then I did All's Well that ends well that was set in India during during partition and during India's independence. So so it's still mainstream. It's still All's Well that ends well. But now we've got like this whole thing going on around colonization through it and doing things like taking Shakespeare and like tearing it apart and now doing part of the play in Hindi and and bringing all these other things to it uh, in a way still talking through the mainstream language but kind of making our own mainstream yeah mm -hmm. wow. cool. Cool. thank you you're all very smart <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, I often get asked this question as an artist um, why theater uh, why um, a, a practice that a lot of people who aren't in it um, consider sort of uh, the opposite, like old, not modern, like can't catch up with the modern world, you know? And now that I work in film, um, that's a question that comes to me a lot because film is can be so widely disseminated and you can have this sort of like global experience. Um, so I know how I answer that question um, as someone who loves theater and thinks it's incredibly transformative. Uh, but um, why, why, uh, why does the stage call to you? I don't want to follow these two, so I'm going to start this time. <laughs> 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 um, and uh, this is also just like a, this is like a traditional, we call it Ustadi in Punjabi, Guru Shishya Parampara in Hindi. But like, um, in terms of like respecting the teachers that have come before, I don't feel like I should have the final word at this table. So I'm just going to jump in first every time or second. <laughs> um, um, and like, it, it's funny because my background's in film, it's not in theater. Um, it's, um, I'm, I'm film trained, I went to film school. Um, but like my, theater was my first love in high school. Uh, that's what took me to the performing arts. Um, and the first way that I learned about like the impact of storytelling um, in ways just beyond conversation. Um, so for me, uh, I, I, I come, I, I'm in a place where there's something frustrating to me about um and it just b could be by my own ignorance and i might just be in a silo but i feel like um the arts as a whole and then theater and film in vancouver live as three very separate entities mm -hmm. and it's kind of interesting to me how there's not more intersection between them um that's just a thing i just wanted to put that out there um because I, I, for myself, feel like I, I exist in those three worlds um, and I couldn't exist in any one of those independently of the other two. Um, for me, the, the thing that's so impactful about theater is that um, once a piece is written, um, the agency still stays with the playwright of who they're going to license to and that kind of thing. But the ability for that thing to live on and be reinterpreted to to reflect the nature and time that it's that it's situated in is a really powerful thing. Um, All's well is a perfect example. Uh, I had the privilege of apprentice directing on that um, with Rohit and Jana, the directors, and um, I think it's a, it's a really incredible to take a text and like I'm not like a big like Shakespeare person. Like I enjoy Shakespeare, sure. 
I enjoy a lot of things, right? Um, but it's not like it doesn't have a dear near place in my heart. Um, and but now to walk into a room where the entire story's been um, in some ways just blown up and reinterpreted and made so much more familiar and comfortable to me, um, and so much more that carries so much more resonance in in today uh, and the conversation going forward. That's that's very interesting to me, um, and that I feel like theater does which other mediums can't do um also we talk about theater being like like and often it's perceived as not accessible because we think of old white people with binoculars sitting in the orchestra and just like oh quite lovely <laughs> uh, <laughs> right um but uh it's it's the most accessible thing um you need you need i, I taught theater for a long time to kids and we say we say you need imagination body and voice mm -hmm. and that's it and it's yours um the story is yours to share um, and so the politics are everywhere in every industry and navigating those politics and navigating colonial constructs. But um, the ability for one person to stand in front of you and perform and put up a fourth wall and then actively take that fourth wall away, you don't need a camera, you don't need funding, you don't need anything. You just need the story you want to tell. Wow, yeah. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> Um, I started out working in film on a television series called North of 60. It was a CBC produced with, um, oh, I can't remember the other, Alliance. Um, that is, is um, you know, still going strong. Alliance is an international um, uh, production company that just uh, produced um, uh, through Black Spruce, if you were at the Vancouver Film Festival, and, and Tina Keeper, who was the lead of North of 60, was one of the producers of that um, piece that was from the book of Chris uh, Boygan. And one of the differences that I find in doing theater and film as an actress is that I, I've played every um, role for a Native woman. I've been a drunk, I've been uh, uh, abused, I've been raped, I've been in jail, I've been homeless, um, and I've also played, you know, ceremonial people and stuff. And one of the things that I, I realized was that in in film, I I was just a conduit for the stories that they were that were being told, and so I started making documentaries back in the mid '80s um, as North of Sixty was still happening. As an actress, I was on that show. And so and in the documentary world was my curiosity about where we were at in terms of indigen, indigenous worldviews and the impacts. Um, never using the word colonialism, but more about sort of the struggles that we've had um, on uh, one of the stories was First Nations women in breast cancer with the health systems and how we were impacted, and even today, those, those stories and research is coming out. Um, stories of, of Indigenous women that were in politics, and what is the difference of leadership from, from Indigenous worldviews to, and so there was a lot, uh, and I can go on all about that, but it, there was a lot more um, control that I had in the telling of the type of stories that I wanted to tell. So I started making documentaries while I was doing the acting and while I was acting on stages and stuff. Today, when I do my community work, it's about relationships that I have with the communities that I'm that I have the honor of of uh, supporting their stories. Um, 
I've been uh, trained in um, Augusta Boel's work um, and, and had the honors of working with David Diamond on a show called Shwa Amit that, that toured BC and Alberta. And my role in, in doing plays in the downtown East, say, um, one was on, um, was on the opioid crisis, working with first responders. It was a relationship and a curiosity and, and about the ideas of possibilities you know, in, in trying to structure meaning of, of the, the ideas of harm reduction. Because it's an evolving reality, you know, and once, once harm reduction is understood by the systems, then there's some other steps that you take to deepen that. And so that's sort of where we're at with that story. I love theater in a, in, um, as opposed to film <laughs> because it is about relationships, just what you were talking about. It is about relationships and it is about um, the possibilities of evolving community. Prim I primarily do theater um, in community. I primarily do theater with people that aren't actors. They're not writers. They're not producers but they have a lived story. And my uh, dramaturgical process is simply to create the space for their stories to emerge. So I ask a lot of questions. And right now, as, as uh, was mentioned, that I'm working with um, Indigenous women that are dealing with the homeless issues in the downtown east side. So my questions aren't about what kind of play we're going to create, but it's about what is, what is their journeys. In, in living in single room occupancies, in dealing with um, the traumas. And they all understand about this whole, uh, the impacts of colonialism. And it's not, a, it, it's not that, but, it's, but if you're on the pulse of those realities, mm -hmm. if you're on the pulse of what those changes are for these individuals, the utilization of, of theater for them is healing. Mm -hmm. And when we talk about, um, um, what that means for my role in that is that I, I, I brought in people from different disciplines, dance, um, uh, dance, visual arts, music, uh, theater, definitely, um, the written word, uh, Rosemary Georgeson and um, Valine Jules, they came in to help these women kind of shape what their writing is. And now we have a whole bunch of writing. And as a dramaturgical, uh, person, I, I take their writings and I put it in and offer it back to them. And so the process is quite long and I never know what the heck I'm doing, but what it is is the intention is that how can I best support the voices of these Indigenous women um, that are on that pulse of realities of uh, living in single room occupancies. And so theatre for me is that and it's also very healing for me as well in understanding my own um, colonial mindset and um, my own uh, place within the story and to get out of the way of it and as a facilitator uh, and um, I'm able to sort of you know I crafting questions for them is probably one of the biggest jobs that I have in, in getting them to 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 open up and to understand that their lived reality is, is, uh, is important uh, and is sacred. Thank you.
I keep following you too. So next time I'm gonna jump in earlier because <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> I, I I was just as you, both of you were talking, I re, I was reminded of this. Can't remember what conference it was. A theater conference, and we entered, and the first day there was a slide on, and I I'll I'll probably get the statistics wrong, but it said something like theater is an art form has been dying for the last 400 years and will continue to die until it exists. <laughs> and, and I think that's how I feel about it because it's, it's like, it's so, theater has, as a form, has, has all the things that other art form has, but I think the, the idea of having a live body in front of you do things and emote is different than when it's digital or it's because it's just live and it's raw and it's in front of you. And so that's what I like doing theater as, but, but I think kind of similar to everybody on this panel, we, we, we dabbled in many other mediums and so do I, but I feel like there is something that I like about film and, and that has to do with the volume and quantity and, uh, and uh, uh, the ability to like in an instant reach such massive groups of people. Uh, so I kind of think of like quantity and volume, I think of film, but then I, think of depth of experience and an ability to transform and like something that can stay in my body for like weeks or months after the performance. I think theater has that power. So I kind of love dabbling with both the mediums. I also think that today with social media and all the digital marketing platforms that exist, it does not necessarily have to be an either or, or conversation. Like you can do a theater piece and then have an amazing film, film based online campaign to hold conversations for that piece. Uh, or you could create an amazing film work and then want to do a workshop series that's more theater-based that takes people deeper into the experience. So I like to do it that way, um, but I think that my practice itself involves, I don't like doing theater shows one time and then just move on. I like to do the same show over and over again in different cities with different audiences, with different cast members. So for me, the idea of repetition is powerful. So, So in a way, I don't think too much between film or theater I kind of think like how can I do film and theater about this story and kind of work from that thank you for such brilliant answers um, and for helping me segue into my next question because you sort of touched upon uh, the themes that I was going to ask about uh, next in your answers already. Um, but my next question was going to be, um, given the supremacy and dominance of Western theater forms and practices on Colonial Turtle Island, um, how do you see yourself decolonizing the theater uh, in either form, content, staging, or collaborations? Um, and you were talking a little bit about that, Renai, about how, um, uh, about your process being very process-oriented and powered by the participants of the project, which I think is a really decolonial and kind of anti-capitalist thing to do because you're not focused on the product. The product is the process of the thing you're creating collectively. Um, and, uh, you know, as a, as a, theater kid, teenager, adult, um, you know, that hierarchy of director, you know, as like the number one person um, 
taking charge of everyone in the room rather than it being a collaborative process because when you come down to it it's really about playing with each other and it's like you were saying it's um, like kids it's what kids do it's what we do every day as kids um, so what are the ways that you bring sort of that idea of, of play and um, breaking away from the sort of more western traditional theater structures in your own practices It's kind of a, I'm going to uh, pose more questions than answer that question directly. But there are a few things like, I feel like this whole, like, when we start talking about decolonization, I, I, I immediately get a little uncomfortable because, because I think the whole society is colonized right now. And the whole thought around it, everything that we do from banking structures to how we live our lives is still colonized. So, so for me, like, decolonize doesn't really do much. Uh, some actions that we put in the category of decolonizing, I'm in support of. But it's really about like how do we build communities and how do we move forward? Because to de whatever whatever harm has been done, how, there's no way to undo that. There's still a lot of healing and a lot of uh, like how do we move forward on the right path is more of or more of uh, what I want to see. Like how do we use resources that are far more equitable? How do we honor? Uh, the First Nations, how do we honor different cultures and uh, and kind of, so I've been kind of more focusing on that kind of a thought pattern because uh, I do realize that even my work that happens is still under colonization. Like it's just the system itself is too colonized enough to claim doing anything is not colonized enough. So, so that's how I look at it. Uh, but to slightly be for more direct in terms of how how to deduce things that are not like the part of the system kind of, I mean, I think there have been a lot of conversations around around uh, around equity in the arts and and uh, how to change things. Uh, but I still think that it hap it's happening more in like proper city centers, like you go like half an hour away from here and you're in Abbotsford and it's still pretty, those those regional theaters are pretty white white, and they're not even doing land acknowledgments, let alone anything. Uh, so, so it's just about uh, being on top of that and just trying to see what's worked in one place and now trying to take it more geographically into different places and take it to more rural communities and take it to more different audiences and just just creating space for that. And and if like for me, I, I I've been in this more phase where like. It's good to be successful in the work, but I'm kind of stepping away from that because part of leading is stepping back. So I'm letting others claim that space where I have done that work so that I can take my work elsewhere where it's needed. Uh, so that's what I'm focusing on right now. Yeah. Um, I, I really like what, what Rohit said about, about like like how it's problematic to label what you're doing as decolonizing because it, it is like when you're working within colonial constructs constantly <laughs> um it's, it feels more often that you're navigating colonial contra constructs and trying to make them more equitable um than decolonizing anyway i have a lot of processing to do about that before i talk about that further i'm just going to leave that there um in, ter in terms of my practice, um, I love what you said about the, the directorial hierarchy. Um, and for me, this comes, um, the thing that I, and this kind of blends into the last question, 
as well is I love I love film and I love theater and I'm like when I say I love film I don't mean I love like art house film I do but the reason that I love film is because I grew up watching Ninja Turtles I grew up watching James Cameron movies I grew up watching that stuff and I loved it I loved it I loved going to the theater um, to this day I don't know why The Terminal Steven Spielberg Tom Hanks um, I, I can't even remember the whole plot I can't I can't but I just know the day I went to the theater and I watched that film, it did something to me, right? Um, I love it. I love it. And I'm not going to apologize for loving like mainstream stuff. It's cool, right? Like that's, that's why I got into it. The thing, the thing for me that becomes about is, is who's claiming that space and who's telling those stories. Um, and when you're navigating those constructs, are you navigating them to uphold the constructs? Are you navigating them to be like, hey, I'm here now and this isn't going to work anymore, right? Um, and then, like Rohit said, it's once you've done that in that space, stepping back and letting, letting people who have, well, other marginalized peoples who haven't occupied that space, letting them occupy that space um, and making it, therefore, more, more vibrant, more colorful um, and, and more of a reflection of, like, of, of what humanity is um, as, as kind of easy as that sounds um yeah so like my 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 process the re the reason that i love theater another reason i love theater is because of the time it gives you um the gift of time is something that i would love to have on a film set um uh, i would love it just costs too much money uh, as you're constantly reminded by producers it just costs too much money um but in that and what that gift of time does is it allows you to to kind of to mess with those hierarchies a little bit. Um, I do feel like the role of a director isn't um, it, it it is to to be a visionary, but it's to facilitate to allow the voices of the collaborators to bring that story to life. Um, it's to claim ownership of the story, not in a way that I'm going to tell my story. Um, to claim ownership of the story that I'm responsible for the story that's coming out, um, and that be that by product, be that by process. I'm responsible for this. I'm responsible for creating a safe space for creativity. I'm responsible um, for a process of dissemination that's going to reach communities that otherwise wouldn't have access to what I'm doing uh, to, or to this type of work. Um, and for me, that's, that's kind of a big part, part of my process is um, from the creative process of actor-director communication, designer-director communication, um, to the facilitation of safe space and the integrity, maintaining the integrity of that, um, to the product itself and to the dissemination of the product. I think um, as long as you're always constantly aware that you're punching up um, uh, in all of those in all of those categories, and never becoming co complacent because you've cracked it and you've made it to a main stage or you've got a big budget or that kind of thing and not becoming complicit and saying, well, I'm going to compromise these values now, but getting there, um, not because that's the goal, but because, you know, that, that's a place to be. And that's, that's, uh, that, that, that's one of the places to be, um, and not being satisfied that that place should remain the same as it's been once you're there. And once you've left, I said a lot of meaningless things. I hope it made some sense. <laughs> Meaningful things. Totally meaningful. Yeah. Could you pass these out? Yeah. This is um, 
I uh, what I'm handing out is is a, a booklet of uh, called Weaving Reconciliation of a play that toured last year through Vancouver Moving Theatre, who were the producers, and I was the director, cultural ambassador, and uh, co-writer of this story. And just to, to in, in, in what these gentlemen here are saying, we've all been lied to in terms of our colonial history. We've all been lied to. And we're all at different stages of what that means and represents and understanding where we're at today. When we talk about the TRC process, that the, the reconciliation, reconciliation between First Nations in Canada and, and for, for new settlers and for Canadians is the first time that they've actually heard the history of this country. And, and they go through a process of understanding. And a lot of times, because I do a lot of conversations and a lot of facilitation on reconciliation with churches and educators and stuff, one of the things that always seems to stop is that for Canadians, they immediately feel guilty. And one of the, the, the stories that I told um, were, were two sisters that went to residential school, and there was a woman that was um, working for BC Hydro, and she was just like, I'm going to do this on the trails, and when we're building these, you know, we're going to get the traditional names. And, and she was just like, you know, after hearing the story, and her, her um, response to these stories of these two sisters in residential school that they, were not, they weren't even allowed, they were twins, they weren't even allowed to sleep side by side. They separated them, uh, both girls, right? And, and as they were telling the story, they were in their 70s. And they looked at this woman from BC Hydro and they said, you don't have to do anything, but just grieve with me. Because when we talk about hope being actionable, it doesn't come from guilt. It comes from grieving, because what are we going to do, you know? So um, Canadians, it's almost like it's their first generation of Canadians reconciling. And when we talk about the TRC process, this story is about the fact that as Indigenous people, we've been reconciling since Confederation. So we're, we're a little ahead of the game in understanding what those systems are and how to navigate and or not navigate those, those places. Um, this play was about several years of relationships that I had with people in the downtown east side and the elders and the uh, language speakers of the different, of the three host nations here in, in Vancouver and having conversations with them. The play didn't just come out and I decided I'm going to write a play, <laughs> but it was something that emerged out of the necessity to let people know the difference between reconciling, Canadians reconciling with First Nations people, and how in our healing, in our healing process, we reconciling with our communities because we've been taken away, reconciling with our families because we've been taken away, and reconciling with the land and the water because of those stories that we don't have anymore because those were not told to us. Or that we lose our language, that we, you know, that we lose our language. So my intention of this play, and it was interesting because um, I was saying that the audience to see it is going to be First Nations. I am directing this play to First Nations people as it toured across Canada. That was my, my main um, ingredient, one of the main ingredients, and of course the cast and 
and uh, our, our cultural advisors were like, yeah. Um, two, that when we talk about Eurocentric theater, um, what I wanted to do in this play was to put in the elements of what it is to be an oral storyteller. And in order for our healing to happen, it's always every song, every dance, every story that we have, whether it's with the, for, uh, 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 as Cree and Soto, Nihiliathan uh, and Soto Cree uh, from the prairies, that my stories uh, of Wisagachak and, and, and um, are all about the relationship to, to the natural world. Every song that I sing with the women that I sing with are all songs about family, community, the land, the water, and, and our responsibility for that, right? So that's a universal kind of thing that happens when we did this play. Because when we went across uh, Turtle Island, when we went from Vancouver, Penticton, um, uh, Treaty 13, which was Toronto, uh, Winnipeg was Treaty One, which was my, which is the Treaty One ter territory, the the treaty that has not been, you know, uh, acknowledged, uh, you know, to to some degree, but certainly not um, in what was written in those treaties. So the idea of being unseated is that we are still considered unseated as well because those treaties were not recognized by the government. So as we traveled the play, when the tra the play traveled across. Um, um, into those areas, we were on the territories of the Silk people, the Okanagan. Those stories were told. I could not tell you what those stories were, but I could tell you that in the creation of this play, that we created sort of an event structure for that story to have a place within it. For an elder that was a residential school survivor and a youth that was, um, uh, that that hope was actionable, that, that um, the youth that was asked to come forward um, did speak the language and did know the stories and did um, have an understanding of what reconciliation was and did understand these ideas of healing. And that went across Canada. So when we went to the Treaty 13 territory, which is now known as Toronto, we had the Haudenosaunee elders and youth. We had the Wendat elder and youth. And we had the uh, Anishinaabe elder and youth that told similar stories. The elder, we always talk in our ceremonies about seven generations into the future. And so we're looking at now five to seven the generations of five to seven now in, that are young people, you know, and our demographics in Canada is that um, are the young people. We, that's the largest demographic in Canada right now. And a lot of them are utilizing the arts to tell uh, their stories and to, to continue on with the responsibilities we have for the next seven generations. This particular play um, w was basically... Um, uh, how do I say it? Um, I never knew what was going to happen. I never knew what the elders were going to say. But in our stories of the land and water and in our stories, in our traditional stories, that was okay. And so the audience had the opportunity to sometimes sit for another 40 minutes. Sometimes those elders had stories to tell. And sometimes those youth um, had stories to tell. And so this particular play was an emergence of a Eurocentric way of doing theater, like a one-act play. And then on the other hand, it was the, um, 
the, um, the traditional Indigenous storytelling that happened where that play took place. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. Rohit, you had one more thing to say? Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that, Renee. Mm -hmm. uh, you, um, Renee just reminded me of a couple of things that, I, uh, that I, I've been observing. You, you mentioned about oral traditions, and I think, I think kind of like the fact that we are here with uh, First Nations and Indian culture and Indian summer has done this whole event ar uh, around Taike and, uh, and kind of finding those connections. Theater, uh, uh, the roots of theater in India is based on oral traditions. It's not based on narrative scripted work. That is a colonized model. And the, the South Asian works that we see now are, they might be South Asian bodies and they might be South Asian shows, but we're still doing scripted theater. But if you go to the roots of Indian and, and even the First Nations, in like the indigenous communities of India, the roots of them will either fall into like what's, uh, which falls into forms like uh, Nautanki or, uh, or Tamasha theater, which is far more folk based. Uh, or if you go into like more traditional forms like Bharatanatyam dancing or Kathak, where they were not considered as dance forms, they were considered as storytelling forms that came from an oral lineage that was taught uh, and passed on from generation to generation based on a teacher and a student relationship. So you just reminded me of that, that that fight is just beginning for us South Asians here in Canada. Um, and, and also you mentioned language. Uh, languages are getting lost. Uh, uh, I mean, there has been a huge colonization as languages have died, uh, as I understand from uh, from uh, my interactions with First Nation artists. And same w same thing with Indian artists. Like, we are doing South Asian shows, we are doing South Asian theater, but it's all English right now. And uh, and just to kind of piggyback and bring it back to like this whole like how we are expected to still work in what's colonized, like. I'm so grateful for all the money that I received from Canada Council for the Arts, but uh, but the way Canada Council treats minority languages right now, it's so broken. Uh, I, as a South Asian who speaks Marathi, Punjabi, Hindi, I do not, I am not able to access uh, minority language funding at, at at Canada Council. Whereas an Anglophone who sits in Quebec or a Francophone who sits in Vancouver can access fund funding that's minority language funding because they only look at languages from the, the, the bilingual uh, uh, French or an English Canadian kind of way. That's how behind we are in terms of like the colonial systems that we still have to, have to operate within, uh, which is kind of interesting. So, so if you're a First Nations artist or if you're a, a settler-based South Asian artist and you want to access special language-based funding, the only way you can do that is to write that item in your budget as a separate thing. But all these special funds that are set aside for specific language-based shows, they are only accessed uh, uh, through through either being a francophone in, in an anglophone territory or an anglophone in a francophone territory. Wow. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we could talk for many hours about how funding is so messed up in this country. Um, but uh, how can I, since we started a little late, we have five more minutes. Okay, great. Well, I wanted to ask y'all uh, one last question that's sort of related back to the theme of this year's Indian Summer Festival. So tricksters, magicians, and oracles. Um, and uh, you all kind of touched upon this a little bit um, in terms of your ideas of play and also um, navigating colonial frameworks and trying to build something new. So something I'm really interested in are, um, you know, sort of futurist 
projections of, of what our stories could potentially be. Um, I'm, I'm uh, like a really big sci-fi nerd and I'm always like, where are the people of color in space, you know? <laughs> or like, what are we doing in the apocalypse? Are we still alive? Why is everyone white? We, we, um, we got out, we made it out, we made it out, we're good. Yeah. We got a secret plan. Sorry, white people, yeah. you're on your own. <laughs> Um, so, you know, without telling the secret plan so that, you know, we can still be safe. Um, <laughs> uh, how do you incorporate this idea of being a trickster, um, of, of incorporating play and magic and also um, foresight into the kinds of, of work that you do? Because, uh, again, all we need are our bodies, our voices and our imaginations and our imaginations can take us anywhere we want. Um, so just curious about about how you would all respond to that beautiful theme that um, they came up with this year at ISF. I'm gonna tell you the plan. <laughs> I'm kidding, no, they'd kick me out. Uh, <laughs> um, so like magicians, tricksters, oracle, oracles, I, I have, I have, um, not in the context of Indian Summerfest, but um, I have I have a bit of a stigma around using the term oracle when you're talking about um, communities of color, right? Um, and indigenous communities because that that's we're always like too magical. Exactly, yeah. we're we're the mystics, right? We're always the mystics. But um, there's something from Sikh tradition um, that I like, which is that. Um, which is very much um, in Sikh ethos, a lot about the future is what you're creating in the present, right? It's a very hands-on faith practice. It's what you're doing right now and how that's going to shape the future as opposed to, I'm gonna tell you what's happening in the future because I have magical intuition. <laughs> um, so I think in that way, I think the oracle process uh, for me and my work is, is doing work that affects the present in a way that's going to shape the future. And that's that's my fortune telling for you. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and in terms of the other word, the word that I really like out of the three, I really like Trickster, just because again, I really like, I always grew up liking con movies, like <laughs> like con artists, that's just a thing. But um, the, thing, the word that I really like in this context is magicians. Um, because I mean, as much as as much as oracles bothers me, it's like my people are magic, man, right? My my people are fired. Like they're they're dope, um, and like and the thing is, where's our magic? Where's our magic been going for the last? We're living in in countries where we're so marginalized. Our magic goes towards, um, I mean, like if you want to go like to like the rags to riches migrant stories, like so many generations were were lost to that ideal, right? Their magic was put towards that. Um, and so I just like, like my people are magic and like just give them the stage and we'll make magic happen. Like that's, that's all I want to say, that's it. That's <laughs> um, for the Okanagan people, they have this thing called the Chaptik stories. And Chaptik is, um, uh, the stories are, 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 are the oral traditions of how to make, have a good life, how to, uh, in, in Cree, myopa matisawin, to have a good life. Um, 
tricksters or chaptique stories or uh, senclip um, or wisagichak or nerebujo all of these sort of trickster characters were created by the creator to look after the humans because we were the only um, uh, vessel that had free will that we didn't rely like a cat knows what's a cat and a cat automatically can you know kill for its food and stuff like we we apparently were smarter but not really and so um, I grew up with a lot of stories um, that were um, very fear-based about uh, Wisagechak and Nenabujo. Um, so, and just to let you know, Soto is basically uh, prairies in Nishinaabe. Just to, you know, but, but we're, we're uh, I grew up saying that we were Soto and, uh, and Cree, and I've never lived on reserve. But I did grow up with a lot of the stories. And one of the, the main things, it's funny that you're saying about magic and stuff, is that I, do, I don't want to have anyone think that our ceremonies are mysterious or magic. Our, our ceremonies are, are land-based, whether it's the sun dance, whether it's the sweat, whether it's the pipe ceremonies, all of it is land-based. And it's up to you as a vehicle to have your own magic within those systems, within those realities of, of things. Because the stories that I grew up with has all, have always been about that. Is that in order to, if you're, if in order to, um, to be a good person, do good things, <laughs> and if you have a past that's traumatized, there, there's something that uh, an elder, Woody Morrison, who's a Haida elder, he says that his past is in front of him, so that when he walks, he's walking with the knowledge of what he should do <laughs> and what he should do. There's no magic there. It's just basically the fact that your future is in front of you. Because when you make those movements, you understand what to do and not what to do. Thank you. I'm going to continue on this thread of magic. And <laughs> I mean, what we're really talking about is exotifying of cultures and appropriation of cultures in the name of cultural appreci appreciation. Uh, and we can't, I mean, it's a whole, wha a whole can of worms. But my whole thing about it is the, the, the million dollar yoga industry where every day you see symbols and things on people's bodies and people's sh shoes and people's accessorizing culture. Um, and, and it's just assumed that it's okay. Um, so, so quote unquote magic, uh, is kind of, is something that I've been thinking about a lot because my work is also culturally specific. So I am a vehicle for making these cultural conversations happen. And in a way, I do want to reflect my culture in a certain way that is appreciated and it has wisdom and it has other things that can be appreciated globally. Uh, considering coming from India, which has such rich traditions of spirituality and and many things. So uh, the magic, I will put two quotes next to it. <laughs> uh, but there is a magic in theater, I think, uh, and in any performing arts. And, and we've all had those magical moments. And we as artists, uh, sometimes get them right and sometimes we don't get them right but we all have been i will assume as artists part of these productions where magic happens when the group of people come together and then that magic is witnessed by an audience and then some other magic happens out there in the world uh, and hopefully we can create more of those in volume um, i did want to say something about the trickster component i feel like uh, as directors writers we're all tricksters 
we all are tricksters. What we tell the artists to get the performance is not the same as what we tell the audience to buy the ticket, which is not <laughs> which is not what we tell our funders in our funding applications. We use different kind of trickster energy in all of these aspects of making magic happen. <laughs> so, so yeah. Uh, maybe I'll leave it at that playful note. Yeah. Can I can I add one thing? One thing. Um, we're asked to play oracles. We're asked to play tricksters. We're asked to play magic. But when it comes to we want to use our magic, we want to use our tricks, we want to use our foresight. Um, then then it's a little too much for us to handle. Yeah. That's it. Okay, well, that was the perfect closing statement. <laughs> um, thank you all so much um, for, yeah, gifting us your words and experiences. Uh, it was an honor to facilitate this conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you.